0: What up, peeps? Welcome into Unscripted and Unprepared, brought to you by Real Screen Magazine. I'm Jimmy Fox, and this episode is my sit-down, my exclusive sit-down, with Scott Gurney. That's right, the same Scott Gurney who co-founded his production company, Gurney Productions, with his wife, Deirdre, the executive producers of Duck Dynasty, and many, many other shows and hits during the golden era of the reality TV business. And yes, the same Scott Gurney, that has not done an interview since he settled his legal entanglements with ITV a handful of years ago. No one's talked to him since. It was a well-documented battle that he had with ITV after they had bought Gurney Productions. There were accusations that were made. There were lawsuits on both sides. It was eventually settled, and that was kind of it. That was the last... The reality TV business had heard of Scott Gurney. That is until now. And I have to say, just straight up at the start of this, I have to say thank you to Scott for saying yes to this, for giving me his time, for not ducking any of my questions, which you're about to hear. He didn't have to do this. He didn't have to give me any of his time. He didn't have to answer my questions, but he did. And little did I know when I reached out and asked to do this, I did not realize that this was Scott's first interview since the whole ITV thing happened. I had no idea. So again, I wanna thank Scott for allowing me the time to to talk to him, knowing that he had absolutely nothing to gain from this. We talk about what he's up to these days. We talk about the era of the industry he came up in, and and does he think that if he were still active, would he be able to pivot to the current landscape We talked about the origin story of Duck Dynasty and the crazy success of Duck Dynasty. We talked about his early days as an actor and how he transitioned to the producing side of things. And yes, I do talk about ITV. I do bring it up. And he answers uh, as as much as he's legally allowed to. He does. But first, before we get into this, I got to pause real quick and I got to give shout out to you, the loyal peeps but especially the global peeps. Guys, I, I never check the stats on this podcast. I never go look into the uh, the analytics or the viewing numbers on the server that, that hosts this podcast. But I did recently for the first time in forever, I didn't realize how many of you listen from outside North America. I am stunned. I just want you all to know I see you. I am blown away. I am thankful that you guys take an hour out of your day to listen to these podcasts that you guys can take something away from it And learn more about the industry or learn about what to do or not do in your own efforts to get ahead in this business. The fact that you take your time to listen to it continues to blow me away. But the fact that there are many of you listening in places like Australia, South Korea, India, New Zealand, Japan, Jamaica, Philippines, Lebanon, Kazakhstan, Switzerland, Iceland, Singapore, Netherlands, Nigeria, Hungary, Indonesia, Croatia, Hong Kong, France, Dominican Republic, Denmark, Taiwan. I just can't explain it. So I never do this. You guys know I usually make these intros short and sweet, and I'll get right back to that the next episode. But I just had to pause, and I had to say thank you to the global peeps. Uh, Really couldn't do this without you and your support. It means a lot to me. But let's come back. Let's come back to this episode. And the man that I got the chance to talk to, Scott Gurney. We did this over the phone, audio only, I was told that Scott was going to be in a place where he didn't have a good signal, so we weren't going to be able to do Zoom. It was going to be an audio call from his cell, and what you are about to hear is the the best editing I've ever had to do during the course of this podcast. Uh, Scott's phone dropped out. It's not his fault, of course. He was in a. You're about to hear why he was in a certain place that didn't have a great signal. Uh, it all makes sense, but. Uh, his phone did drop out multiple times. I did lose him multiple times through the course of our conversation. We also had to split this up over two days because the first day we tried to do this, I lost him so many times we, we ran out of time. So he was cool enough to set up a time to speak to me the following uh, day. And we did. And this is basically two different phone conversations that I've edited as well as I can into one conversation. You know cohesive fluid conversation so hopefully uh that doesn't distract you and you're not trying to spot the edits uh, as you listen um but i just wanted to give you that forewarning as we head into this episode the first time scott gurney has spoken on the record since 2019 and his settlement with itv this is my conversation with scott gurney i hope you enjoy it <laughs> Hey, I see somebody has entered the chat. That's
1: Scott? Hey, it is, man. How are you? I'm doing well, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Doing great. Sorry hey, about so- the confusion. Oh, no, no
0: problem. I was told I was told you're in some location without internet. So where where are you? are you? In some like exotic location? Are You in a bunker somewhere? What's going on?
1: Uh no, I wish I could tell you I was in an exotic location, but um uh no, I'm actually in, in my in my house which is on, on a beach and we just moved in. So it's, it's, um, there's no internet. There's <laughs> cell phone service is brutal. So I was trying to figure it out so that I didn't, I didn't keep dropping you guys. So you just moved into the house? Yeah. Yeah, we did. Just moved in.
0: Is this like in Malibu or something? Are you, are you in LA?
1: No, I'm, I'm in Manhattan beach.
0: Oh. oh man. Good for you.
1: Yeah. It's rough over here, buddy. You know, it's rough.
0: I know you got to watch out for those South Bay folks.
1: I think think like J.D. Ross, Todd Nelson, a couple other guys are my neighbors. So, you know, it's a friendly, friendly environment.
0: Are you a sports guy?
1: Uh, I mean, I am a little bit, yeah.
0: I think like Ryan Rossillo and Colin Coward have places down there too.
1: Oh, yeah. This is like Sports Alley, man. You see like at least 10 pro athletes walking their dogs every day when they're not in season.
0: So you just, you just don't have the internet because you just moved into this house and you haven't gotten the company to come hook you up. Is that it?
1: Correct. It's like a week away, you know, to schedule everything and, and they're fixing a bunch of stuff. So it's, it is what it is.
0: I, I, uh, I was really excited to talk to you and I don't, I don't expect you to remember this, but you know, I interviewed with you a long time ago at Gurney. And I don't Did I not hire me. you? <laughs> no, you wanted, you wanted to hire me. You wanted to hire me. Okay, good, good. You and I, you and I really hit it off actually. Um, good. But what happened? You know, I can't remember. What happened was I had just left working for Ben Silverman. I had been running his development and uh, I was seeing what else was out there. And I sat with you, we hit it off and you wanted me to come for a follow-up meeting. And then I did a follow-up. And, uh, I think you guys wanted me to come in, but I decided to take another opportunity at all three media where I ended up working for nine years. And, uh, so so it just, just went a different way, but you, you and I, you, I remember having a really good meeting with you and I told you I'd been doing scripted, uh, for Ben as well as unscripted and you had had an appetite to kind of do more, more scripted business in, in, in the future. I remember from the meeting.
1: Probably remember. um, you.
0: Scott, you're breaking up a little bit.
1: Is this any better?
0: Sounds good so far. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah, we could try this, and we'll see how it goes. Can you hear the, the, the ocean? Is it too loud or no? No. No. Okay. But if you want, cool. I can.
0: I, if you want, I can lay it in and post. <laughs>
1: it's all good, man. All good. Yeah. This this is this will work. It should be fine. I got I'm right next to the the the. Or outside, so that there's a better reception.
0: Perfect. So, I mean, let's start here. What, what is Scott Gurney up to these days?
1: I mean, staying happy, healthy, you know, I have two beautiful kids. Um, life is great. God's been good to me. And, um, and, you know, I'm not in entertainment anymore. Um, after all the, whatever you want to call it, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, everything's good. I have multiple other businesses going on right now that are that are successful and and um living my life, you know? Doing things I always wanted to do.
0: And what and what is what is that? Like you know, doing things you always want to do. Is that mean like taking care of yourself and like staying healthy and getting outside every day? What 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 does that mean?
1: So I have I have uh, I have a couple things that, that that I do. Um, you know, my roots are from the south so i have a uh, timber business that i own development company that that works in the southern states um and i have a a big ranch that i own and operate in louisiana that has uh all kinds of wild animals exotic animals and people come and stay there and they hunt and and rent the places out there on the property um and then uh and then i had a restaurant which i just got just uh it was called Rosaline in Hollywood. It was really successful, one of the top restaurants in, in Hollywood for, let's say, six or seven years. And, and man, uh, I, I had that, no idea.
0: I had no idea you were a restaurateur. Yeah.
1: Well, I, I can't say that I'm a restaurateur. I, I, I'm, I, I own the restaurant, and I, and I would go in there and make sure the food tasted good every once in a while.
0: <laughs> I guess. The question, one of the first questions I have for you, I mean, you, you know, you're not familiar with the podcast. I do it monthly for real screen magazine. It's conversations with, you know, producers and network executives. I guess first question is why, why did you want to do it? Like when, when Stuart Kavanaugh reached out to you and said, Hey, Jimmy does this podcast. What made you want to, want to talk to me?
1: Um, well, he just said, he said, Hey, would you be interested in, in being interviewed on, on, you know, your, your, your career and how you got started and, you know, any advice that you can offer to, to people just getting in the business. I said, sure. You know, Stuart was a friend of mine. So it's not like, you know, like I was going to, you know, put anything out there at risk. (laughs) No,
0: no, no. And look, I really appreciate you doing it. And and like you said, you know, you, you just said you don't work in the business, you know, in in a full-time capacity anymore. When you look at the landscape, of what the business is now and all the merging departments and consolidation, especially across, we're just talking the nonfiction space. Do you kind of feel like you got out at the right time?
1: You know, I think, I think that it just all depends. I think, I think there are still people that are, that have adapted um, to, uh, to to the new landscape. And I think you can even look at it, you know, like when I got in, reality was brand new. So it was almost like the same thing that's happening now. You know, what, you know what I mean? Like, like when reality was first starting, scripted was so expensive that the networks were looking for a way to do things cheaper, right? So they created reality TV. Oh, we can now make an episode that costs half the price and still gets the same amount of ratings. Um, it's called reality. So that, and now we're just we're we're literally at the same point again. Where they're trying to cut the pie even smaller, and they're saying, "Okay, wow, here's another way to make content that's even cheaper." And so, you know, every time you do that, you eliminate um, certain things. So the first time when they created reality TV, they, they, you know, they really network TVs took a hit. I think at the end of the day, because the cable networks were able to produce content that were you know, that was, was comparable in, in quality and value and and watchability that the big network guys were doing. So it pulled some of the some of their market share away. And I think it's happening again now where, you know, even smaller companies, well, they're not small anymore, but, you know, your YouTubes and your TikToks and all those smaller outlets, Hulu's, and all the other little, they're not little, but, you know, all the other outlets that are available now have all found ways to get in there and take their handful of content um, away from, from cable and, and network television, you know, and I think it's going to keep adapting even more and more now that, you know, the iPhone, the iPhone changed the world.
0: Uh, absolutely. I mean, it looks like, you know, like, like you're saying in the early days, they wanted alternative programming, literal alternative programming, because it would be cheaper than producing scripted. Then cable starts producing less expensive shows that are getting high ratings in cable. And now you look around the landscape. You're like, where else can we go? You know, like like just cheaper, cheaper, unscripted programming. And at that point, what kind of shows are we even making anymore? If the only way to go way to go is down when it comes to budgets.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, you have to look at it this way. A phone is no longer a phone. It's a personal TV, right? So, gone are the days of okay. Well, when I get home tonight at at eight o'clock, I'm going to sit down and watch my one show. So. You know, it's kind of like, you know, you you give, you, if you if you only offer the horse water once a day, he's only going to drink it once a day, right? But if you put the water out there permanently, he'll come back and drink that water twenty five times a day, right? He may only take a sip. Well, now that's the same thing that's happening with, with content, right? You got a, you got your own personal TV you put in your pocket, twenty five times a day you can look at it. So now there's, you know, you you've opened up a whole other door in the last five years for content providers who can easily make content that that's you know a minute long, five minutes long, ten minutes long. It doesn't have to be your standardized half hour or one hour program. And I think these these younger kids have you know they're caught on to it and and heck I've caught on to it. So um, it's just it's just different. It's just a change. And if you don't change, I think that's where you're gonna suffer. And I think, you know, I think the cable guys took a beating because they, they were they were kind of refusing to change. Um, I think right when I, I departed, you know, they were starting to, you know, I was starting to get guys, um, and pitch guys on YouTube and there, I was getting laughed at, you know, like, so I was like, look, this is kind of the future guys. This guy's got, this guy's got six million subscribers with a science guy. We were pitching to discovery and, and, um, I said, look, this guy's got more subscribers than you pull every night of the week added up. And they still wouldn't buy the show. I was like, just put his content on, on Discovery and they wouldn't do it. Yeah. Um, I won't say who wouldn't do it, but they just didn't <laughs> do it. So, and you can't blame them. You know, it was risky at the time to say, oh, my God, why would we sign a deal with a YouTube guy who makes cheesy YouTube videos and put them on our high-end network? Well, the fact is people want content and, and they want what they like and they don't really care if it has beautiful lighting anymore. Nowadays, it's just it's, it's what they want when they want it. And I think even, you know, the more organic, natural, straight off the iPhone things get more or just as many views as, as your, your, you know, super produced stuff.
0: What do you, what do you miss about working in TV? And what do you not miss?
1: Uh, you know, man, to be honest with you, I'm I'm a country boy, man. I, I grew up in the South. You know, I my, I love the hunting fish. I, I live here in Manhattan Beach because, um, you know my kids love it here and my wife loves it here and she's a New Yorker and, but deep down, you know I I, I, I can go live in the woods. <laughs> and if you look at my if you look at my content that I you know that I sold over the years, like the majority of it is kind of like I don't want to say redneck because I am a redneck and that's not a bad word to me, but um kind of redneck. You know what I mean like like uh if they needed some you know if people needed things that were in that world that's kind of the person i was you know one of the guys that they would call for that um from you know in 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 the earlier days and then clearly we we segued into more mainstream stuff yeah but um, but, you, but, you, but, you know, it, but in terms of things I, I i miss i miss i miss the people the relationships that i made the friends that i made um but, uh, but, you know, I still keep in touch with the people that, that, that are my friends. You know, my friends never, never change despite um, work environment situations changing. But, uh, but I, I, don't, I, I can't say I, I wake up and never miss it, you know, because I've moved on to other things in my life. And I'm, I'm just as happy as, as I am now as I was back then.
0: Well, let's talk about how you broke in. Uh, you know, you're from the South. Where did you grow up?
1: I was born in Texas. And lived all in the South, Louisiana, Mississippi, Tennessee, um, and then went to New Jersey. My, my dad was a um, salesman, so we traveled a lot. And so ended up in New Jersey and went to high school there uh, at Don Bosco Prep, prep School the, in the East Coast, New Jersey. And then, um, and then graduated from a local high school, then went to uh, uh, Rowan University, in South Jersey.
0: Now I, I read. And tell me if this is true. Did you win a national ch- championship on the men's soccer team in college?
1: Yes, we did. My freshman year.
0: What was what division is this?
1: It was Division Three. Uh, school is Rowan University in South South Jersey.
0: See, I think that was something we bonded over when I had my interview with you because I played Division Three football.
1: Oh, cool! Yeah, yeah. I mean, back then, you know. Division one, two, three—it was—it was different than it is now. You know, it's really segregated out to completely different, you know, divisions and and whatnot. So, it's definitely changed. But it—it it was just it fun, man. I, I loved it. I wouldn't—I wouldn't change anything from that.
0: So you're this college athlete. You grew up all across the south, but you end up in in New Jersey. And now it's time you're out of school and you're thinking of what's next. How do you get to LA? and into Hollywood and specifically into acting because Scott, I had no idea about the body of work you had as an actor before you got into producing. Also, Scott, let me just say one guy to another, you are a handsome son of a bitch. Like, oh my God. Yeah. Like, dude, I, I, I start Googling to prepare for this interview and I'm seeing like old headshots of yours. And I'm like, holy shit. Scott Gertie was, was a stud back in the day. And you're, um, and when people like to give a sense for the audience of your work, I mean, you really put in your time as an actor, you had bit parts, some reoccurring roles on like Sybil and Baywatch and Say by the Bell, the new class and and O, Buffy, the vampire slayer, Sabrina, the teenage witch. I mean, you were doing some real stuff. So how do you go from Jersey, you know, playing soccer, collegiate ball to going to Hollywood in the first place? And how do you get into acting?
1: well i'll give you the the two-minute version essentially uh i was one of those kids walking down the street they got discovered you could say um so long story short i got i got uh hey come to this this um this uh interview or what do you call it audition and um you know ended up booking uh i think i want to say it was either stetson stetson like this, this company Stetson, like and hats and clothes. And, and then, um, and then I did, uh, I got in with, with, um, Polo with Ralph Lauren and, um, just did like, I mean, I was, you know, I was coming out of college and, and I had like a bartending job making $15, $20 an hour. And then these guys are like, Oh, we're gonna pay you 5,000 a day. You know? So I was like, well, I think I'm moving to California that's that stay on the other side of the country. Let's go check it out. But I really had no desire or intentions of being an actor or, or a model. I kind of just fell into it. And, um, cause I graduated with a degree in marketing. So that was, I was literally going to go work for a company called Unilever, which I had, Oh, sorry, um, Unilever or, or Reckitt and Coleman with these two big consumer products companies that, that, um, I was going to go work on work with. And, you know, my dad, my mom thought I was crazy to say, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to actually go to California and, and pursue this acting and, um, modeling stuff. So I didn't even have any desire for television you know at all. And and then really? I got there and and only I I liked it. I mean, who doesn't like Hollywood when you're single and you know back in the day when it was just the wild wild west out here, man, you know? And it was awesome. I <laughs> mean, <Scott, laughs> every night Scott, with a you, party. Scott,
0: you sound like you're being like like you need to downplay this. You were, you were on like five episodes of Baywatch. You're like a young, good looking guy hanging out on the set of Baywatch. That seems like kind of a dream scenario for a guy new to LA.
1: No, it was man. It was. And, and, and look, I like, I don't want to say this to be negative towards the industry because the industry was good to me, but like, I, I was, I didn't, I wasn't a passionate actor. Like I didn't love it. You know, like my friends that I'd work with, you know, they love it, you know. And, and for example, I could have been on, I got offered to be on all these soap operas and, and I did it for a week or so. And, and, um, I just, I just was like, man, I, these people love this way more than I do. Like, mm. I liked it and the paycheck was phenomenal, you know, but I just didn't have that passion for it, you know. And then, and then cut to, I don't even know, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know how many, it was a blur to me. It was great times in my life, but, to you know people started um making reality TV and I became friends with um um who I can't even remember someone got me in touch with with um with Ken Mock who was the producer of America's Next Top Model
0: right remember that show of course yeah I Ken Mock Ken Mock, yeah, Ken Mock so, stor- storied career yeah
1: yeah yeah cool guy um started producing episodes of that just because I'd been around cameras and understood, you know, sets and stuff like that. And I mean, that was when the reality TV world was just starting and they were just looking for people that could possibly even understand how to make this type of TV. Mm -hmm. I fell into that. Um, and, uh, and then, and then started directing some of those shows. Um, and then said to myself, you know, okay, Ken's driving a Ferrari. So why can't I, (laughs) um, and that's when I started my own company. It was, you know, literally I like, I had a condo I lived in. I took out a home equity line. I met Deirdre at the time, my wife, um, who was, was working as an attorney with like state governments and doing these fancy, like thousand page contracts, you know? And, And I'm like, Hey, you want, let's start a production company together. And so we did it. We like leveraged our condo. You know, we could have literally been on the street if it didn't work out, but we produced our first couple things out of our apartment, you know, edit bays and bedrooms and slept on the couch.
0: So you guys were, you guys were really bootstrapping it early on. Just the, just the two of you are like, Hey, I'm going to start a company. And you don't even necessarily know what you're getting yourself into when you say, I'm going to start a company, right? You're just trying to, what are you developing at that point? Are you. Are you executing yourselves? Like, what was the thought going into this? Like, did you have a bunch of ideas that you were ready to pitch? Or were you being staffed on other people's shows and trying to handle physical production duties? Like, what was, like, the early stages of the company?
1: I mean, I think I was still working for other people. You know, yeah. I think um, I worked for another friend of mine, Stuart now, who was producing shows back then. Um, just to, Just to keep the lights on, you know what I mean? And, and I had saved up a good chunk from modeling cause I got paid a lot of money to do that, which, um, I still don't understand why they pay people that kind of money, but they do. So, uh, I'd saved up money. We were, f- we, you know, we had enough to live off of and, and, but it was still like, Hey, you know, start a production company back then, like editing machines, you couldn't edit on your, there was no, you know, MacBook pro that you could literally start a show on and finish a show on nowadays. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was big Avid and everything was thousand dollar weekly rentals and Cameras were 50 grand. So if you're willing to shoot something, you know, you, there was no iPhones or or GoPros or anything back then, as you know, you know, so it was, it was a big investment. And early on, I said to myself, okay, the real way to make money in this business is not, I mean, it is the show, but it's everything that surrounds the show. So from day one, we, we had a camera department, we had a lighting department, we had a post department. And I said, this is, you know, have to treat this as is a real business not just a uh oh we we make tv shows so um from day one we we you know our first office we had edit days we had development teams we had you know we had everything and then as we moved from office to office as we grew in size um everything else grew in size as well
0: we, we, just but looking back because you know we, we start this podcast and you're talking about how you just moved into your home you've got kids now you know you're in manhattan beach you've done well for yourself. But going back, the formation of the company, just you and Deirdre in an apartment. Do you look back at those apartment days and you're like, "Damn, that was a really good time."
1: You know, I I just was happy, man. I, I was happy back then. I was happy to do what I was doing when I was doing it. You know, making fifty shows, and I'm happy now. I think I think that's half of of being successful. Is you have to be you have to like what you do yeah. to a certain extent. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm not saying you have to love what you do, but you definitely have to enjoy what you do and you have to enjoy the people you're working with. Um and you know, it, as long as you're happy, you know, it's it's it, it. you get up and you wanna work. You you stay up late, you wanna work, you know, you get it done. So um I'm looking yeah, I mean I'm,
0: I mean I was looking at the early the early slate, like the earliest producing credits. You know, you've you found the company in two thousand five, correct? Two thousand five is when you guys start the company?
1: Sometime, yeah, around there, yeah.
0: Okay. And I'm looking at the early shows and it's And it's this crazy mix because you have immediately, it looks like you're in the shark programming game very quickly. But then also you have multiple Jamie Lynn Spears and Raven Simone specials. So what was this, what what was this mix and what were the connections to Jamie Lynn Spears and Raven Simone in addition to you doing wildlife animal shark programming? Because that was from day one, that's a very diverse slate.
1: It is. It is. So, so, uh, we started producing content and then we, I I can't even remember the name of the company, but we got in with a commercial company and we were making like commercials that they're not even on my resume, probably a dozen of them. And they were, you know, they paid really well back then. Um, and so we got in with a company, Hasbro
0: Mm.
1: Toy Company, and they were producing tons of content for these young, young celebrity stars. And so we put together a proposal and, and, and I think it's some kind of little fizzle reel, you know, but I look back then I probably did it for like a half of what I should have. That's why they, you they know, gave it to us. But, um, and then that just took off and we were doing all their content and then these, and then those, those celebrities would come back to us on their own and say, Hey, you know, this turned out so cool. Can you do this? And can you do that? And can you go direct this video and can you go do this? So it's just kind of steamrolled you know, into, into other stuff.
0: Where did the, where did the shark programming come from? Do you remember your first time walking into Discovery and getting into that business?
1: You know, I can't remember the first time, but, but, you know, like I said before, I'm a huge outdoorsman, right? So I grew up on the water, saltwater fishing, and, and I understand, you know, the whole outdoor landscape. Um, we had produced a show called Shark Hunters for, this small little network called Outdoor Life Network. Back in the day, mm. um, it was one of the first shows that I ever sold. I remember they were like, "We're going to give you a hundred thousand an episode." I was like, "What the hell am I going to do with all that money?" <laughs> so, um, I, I and back then, I don't know how we did it, but we we were able to do it. And and so Discovery had said, "Oh my God, we saw this. You know, this this series is so nuts. Like we could never anything like that." But you know, how did you do all that? And would you be interested in? You know doing some shark week stuff, so then we put together pitches for some shark week shows. I have no idea why they actually let us do it, but they did.
0: <laughs> and are you and represented then, then, is Gurney represented at this point? Do you guys are you guys with an agency I don't even
1: know, I can't remember. I want to say, I want to say no at that time. Um, and then the craziest story is, man, the fur that first shark week we had cast this kid who was from Hawaii and he was like, a um, awesome kid. It, I don't want to say his name, but he, anyway, he, in the middle of our show, he passed away. Oh my God. Not on my show. He was wingsuiting. He was like a wingsuiter. You ever, you know what that is?
0: Yeah. The, flying through the air, like
1: skydive wingsuit. And he just like, you know, he didn't make it so to speak. So he didn't make it he passed away. It was tragic. I remember sitting in my chair when I, when I got the call. So then I had to make the call to Discovery and go, Oh, I guess what? You know, our, our host just, we were halfway, we, we'd already halfway shot the show by the way.
0: Yeah.
1: And then Discovery, I'm like, well, you know, this guy passed away. He's like, what? So, so I'm like, made it clear. It's not on the show. But then they gave us uh less Stroud to do this first show. He did, who was like a huge star at the time on this show called Survivor Man.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm.
1: He's awesome guy. And um we went out and made this show in the Bahamas with him, reshot a bunch of content and it ended up being like the best show that year. But they they had it got like a lot of attention and did really well. So then that steamrolled into other shows, you know, a couple of them the next year and year after that.
0: And did you say that was the first Shark Week, meaning like the first Shark Week for Discovery or your first Shark Week?
1: No, that was the first one we had made. I, I they had already had Shark Week. Okay. Um I don't know when that started, but we—that was the first show where we were able to break in and say, "Okay, we're going to make some of these shows."
0: So, once you break in, are you doing like three of three specials or four hours or something every Shark Week? After that, is that kind of how they work with their vendors on most of those shows? I've I've done clip shows for Shark Week, but I haven't done any of the infield you know, doc stuff. But I imagine that they want to amortize the cost of these specials, so they hand more than just a couple hours out to these companies like like you're like you guys is that how it operated back then
1: uh you know i think i honestly those shows are extremely hard to make and i think there's just very limited there's a very limited number of people that can actually pull it off mm-hmm. and and i say that with truth because you know um they're just hard to make like if you don't understand the environment what you're really going after you know what i mean and, and actually get what you say you're going to get, then, you know, we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions million of dollars that's just wasted when you come back and you go, yeah, well, you know, it's just, you know, it's nature. Sorry, we need another half million. So I think they were trying to find people that when they put a three-page pitch in front of them that says, oh, I'm going to get this shark to like eat this or jump 20 feet out of the water or whatever, that you actually get the shot, you know? get get the sequence that you need in order to to make the science of the show work um and so i just i was able to put together a group of guys that that could make that happen and that's the truth and these guys you know starting with the the underwater guys and the topside guys that just you know didn't get seasick and and guys that didn't complain and need a water break every 10 minutes and and then we also had some phenomenal post guys that were just amazing you know, I, I'll be honest with you. I'm nothing without the team that made the show. You know, I'm just I'm just the executive producer. Um, it's the guys that that actually are in the trenches that make the show that 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 should get all the credit.
0: Well, that was always the reputation of of Gurney is that you kept you kept amazing bodies in the company. You know, and once you found your your people, your you know editor Navy SEALs so to speak. You know, you would keep them in house. Um, across all the Gurney shows that you really amassed this training ground of production and and post folks in the business.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny because I'd hear, Oh my God, you don't want to go work at Gurney. They're they're like, they're mean, they're employees, you know, or whatever. You know, the fact is if you're mean to your employees, they leave all of them. Okay. We, 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 I I had a, I, I would be very clear and upfront with people like, look, I expect this and if it's not that, if it's not what we need, then I can't keep you, you know? Um, and, and we no it was, I may have had an easier way or a harder way in a say it, a say it, harder way I said it, but the truth is, you know, it's tough. It's tough to be a top editor in, 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 in that world, especially back then when there was no formula for being a reality show editor, right? Like you didn't know what you were getting a lot of times, even when you'd hire an editor that claimed he had cut these ten shows. It wasn't always, um, you know, he didn't always or she didn't always turn out to be this ace editor that was demanding twice as much money than what's in the budget for that person. You know, so it's it's a it's, it was a dance, and you had to you had to you had to be upfront and off of people, and you know, if someone wasn't cutting it, then I I'd cut them. It was that simple, and I didn't have a problem with that. And I think that's just life. You know, that's how I was treated as a kid, and that's how that's how networks treat us. So it, it kind of has to have a trickle down effect. And then well, you, you know, said,
0: but so you say people yeah. say, "Oh, working at the gurneys is tough," and and they were they were mean. Do you do you ever think about how you're perceived or what your quote unquote reputation is in the reality TV business? Do you put any thought into that these days?
1: No. <laughs> To be honest, I mean, look, I I, I, I felt like I treated everyone fair and equally. I was, I'm very upfront with people when I meet you. You know, this is what the expectations are. This is what you get paid to do it. And if you do well, you know, there's opportunity to move up. I mean, I, I, I can tell you for a fact that you're a kid that started out in, you know, serving coffee that are now huge directors in town, you know, that I kept for 10 years, 15 years. Yeah. Um, so when I when people worked hard, you know, I kept them. It's that simple. I can't. I couldn't run a company with hundreds of people, with hundreds of employees. You know, having them just hiding their own work hours or showing up later, You know, the cut's not great. It's okay. You know, it's a tough world and it's a tough business and it's part of life. You know.
0: Well, it is. It is a tough business. And you you found the company in 2005. By the time you get to around 2009. You're, you're really starting to like, you know, you're starting to cook, right? you get a lot of shows on the air. I'm Alive comes out in 2009, 2010, Auction Hunters on Spike, which was a huge show for them, long running show for them, 2011, Monster Man, Haunted Collector, American Guns, right? And then in 2012, yeah. before we get into Duck Dynasty, which also launches in 2012, another show of yours, Scott? I've talked about it on the podcast before. I didn't know this was your show is Hollywood treasures. I, I love yeah. that. I love that show.
1: Yeah, that was a cool show, man. That's a cool concept too. You know? Um, yeah. I mean, <laughs> to be honest with you, sometimes I forget the shows I made. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, this was, this, this, it was on sci-fi. You had this Hollywood auction yeah. house. Yeah. I think it was only like, I think it may have only been two seasons, you know. So it's easy for you to yeah, forget did. shows like that.
1: Yeah, no, the guy's name was Joe. I can't remember his name, but just this guy like had a niche and and um and you know he he ran with it. Um, and it was cool. It was a cool show, cool concept. Um, I'm not sure why. I think Sci-Fi was going through a a pretty big rebranding. Yeah, you know, every couple years from. <laughs> you know, wanting ghost shows to, sorry, we're not a ghost network. I don't know. But um, they were always really good to us. You know, there were some great execs there that we worked with and they were, they, they were always really cool with us.
0: So Gurney is taking off like a rocket. You're already getting a lot of shows on the air. And in 2012, that's when Duck Dynasty premieres. So, so let's get to it because I've talked to many people behind the scenes in the business. And if you talk to 10 people about how Duck Dynasty became Duck Dynasty, you're going to get 10 different answers. So, so like hearing it straight from the the, the Duck Father himself, so to speak. I, I've, yeah. heard they were, I've heard I've heard there were multiple different pilots that were made, uh, various different tones that Duck Commander had been taken out previously. Um, obviously, they had had I think other they had explored that previously to Duck Dynasty becoming what it is. I guess the question is, tell me about what you remember of the show eventually finding its tone of what would make it a success, meaning. How did the show end up being a family sitcom, which essentially is what it became at the end of the day, right? Because it, yeah. it didn't start that way, right? You did go through various versions at Amy before you landed on that tone, correct?
1: So I'll give you a little bit of a backstory. So the Robertsons were already famous in the outdoor hunting space, okay? I'd follow the dad. I'd, I'd, I know it sounds... This is a, there's you know go, go duck hunting and his dad uh, i say his dad willie robertson's dad the uh phil robertson um had a duck hunt company and i knew about those since i was 10 years old i owned them i had them i would go buy them i would i would watch his videos so he was already a personality um that everyone in the south uh, anyone who hunted knew who he was which is a large percentage of people you know so um, then cut to a, probably in the, probably in the, I don't even know, I mean, late 90s, they started a TV show called Duck Commander, right. which was on Outdoor Life or one of the outdoor channels. And it was, it was a hunting show, but you could see organic pieces of comedy genius that was there. You know, I mean, I, 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 the minute I saw that, I was like, these guys are, you know, these guys are awesome. I mean, they're, they're just like the kind of same personalities as all my friends going up and they're just good guys. Um, and, and I think it would make a cool show. And at the time, um, people were looking for the next swamp people remember the show swamp it, swamp people yeah, remember I mean, that, that was a, that was a
0: charlie, charlie Corwin Corbin show right original media did that show I can't remember
1: yeah I can't remember who produced it um huge show like like would win the night every night for years so but no and no one could figure it out okay okay why, what's the next one people what's the next one people so when when um I showed them just a basic it was essentially just footage of their show duck commander which was produced by i forget the guy's name his name is mark but they have a production company they like produce shows now or they i don't know if they're still in business but they 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 had produced shows they were small at the time and um i can't even remember how it went down or if i tried to work with this guy i can't even remember the situation but long story short i ended up getting the rights to the family and um and and putting together, you know, a concept reel and, and sending it around. And who knew? No one, I mean, I didn't know what to expect, you know. I thought it was was kind of funny, a little different than what was out there of this concept, these guys dressed in camo sunglasses and have these really pretty wives, you know. Um, but the tr- it, it, it took off. We had like multiple people that that um bid on it and uh you know. But then, It went, it went, it went up like a giant, giant fire, fast, um, bomb fire. It was it, the, the now. You want to know about the? Uh, you want to know about the um the pilot, right?
0: Well, real quick. Well, real quick, because I love, I love this part of of any big project. because yeah. that was back in the day, yep. Scott, where you could get multiple competing series offers, right? Or or multiple yep. pilot offers, right? Depending on the time and the place. And this is at a time where Discovery, A and E and Spike, and maybe some others that would dip their t- – like maybe Nat Geo, depending on which era of Nat Geo. You could take all those male factual concepts to the same places, right? And you could get them competing with each other. So when you take out the Robertsons and you take out your pitch, who else was in on this before it landed at A&E? Um, I mean – Or did you have multiple – What I remember, authors? I think
1: – think I- Yeah, I think we did. I think there were multiple, you know, networks. But I think what was important is that we had to find the right place for it because just like we do with every show. Like some shows, you know, I I remember having offers for for a full order, but from the wrong network. And I would turn it down for, you know, six episodes from a network I thought it was right for, you know, which ended up sometimes working out and sometimes not but in this situation um A&E seemed like they were hot you know and I and and they seemed like the right fit at the time um and I if I remember correctly I could be wrong my, my wife may shoot me but uh A&E did not offer us a a series order it was just a pilot and we chose to go with them That's right. Um based on it was the right fit, you know, the right network that could, if it works and if it turns out to be what we want it to be, it could be a huge hit where I don't, and, it, and it's not, no, 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 nothing bad against Discovery, but they, they, I'm not sure that show would have been approved to air as it did on Discovery because they're just a little more serious network and, you know, just, just different. They probably wanted it more in the woods and more organic. Um, and it might have worked, but not, not on the scale that it did on a
0: so so it's time to make a pilot and when you enter because here's the thing here's the thing at the time in the male factual space which is what you would think first looking at this family right and and where these guys come from you're going to kind of put it in that box those shows like you're talking about swamp people those shows are not comedies and they're not produced comedies right with right preconceived storylines and and whatnot those are, you know, raw, down and dirty, you know, seemingly very realistic uh, shows. So how do you end up getting A&E to sign on board of the script I don't want to say scripted but the very produced unscripted family sitcom version of the show was the first pilot that? Cuz how many how many pilots did you end up doing? Cuz I heard a story that there were multiple versions of a pilot. And maybe that's someone just talking about how it was re-edited multiple times to change its tone, but did you have to do multiple pilots?
1: Um well I think I think what I can say is and what I recall is that the first cut we turned in probably wasn't the the you know the show that aired so to speak, mm-hmm. but we definitely had the perfect post team on this show that I can honestly say if we did not have that exact team on the show, the show would have never been what it was.
0: Well, that's what I wanted to find out. Cause again, what is the old saying? Success has many parents. And I've heard yeah, yeah, over no, the years, I've heard a lot over the years, a lot of people behind the scenes have taken credit for how Duck Dynasty became Duck Dynasty that we know of in terms of the, the tone and execution <laughs> of, of that show. So I would love to hear from you, right. like straight straight from the boss, who should get the credit or the tone that you guys eventually hit that became so iconic in the, in
1: the genre. Yeah, man, I gotta be careful with this to be honest because, <laughs> um, well, I can tell you this, I will give the credit. My wife had a large part to do with it in organization of the team. That's going to put that show together. Um, and then, you know, the, God, I want I know, I know two of the three guys, <laughs> So I will say this, there's a guy, his name's Mike O'Dare, which is a great guy, probably one of the best comedy writer guys that ever came through our system, who's still in the business and and just super, super smart guy. Like he could have literally been a writer on Seinfeld, like that talented.
0: Well, Mike, Mike, Um, I know, I know Mike, he's become a a buddy as of late. He just had a lot of success at Netflix uh, show running Outlast and he's in a uh, Netflix overall deal right now.
1: Great, see, so, you know, other minds agreed with me. <laughs> um, Mike, Mike was, a, Mike was a, a pretty big part of the show. And, you know, he, I'm sure he'll tell you the funny stories. He, he fought for what he liked and what he wanted. And um, in the end, you know, the show became a comedy, you know, where in the beginning, the network really didn't want a comedy. They didn't want to laugh. They kind of wanted, like I said, initially, know, oh, we need an answer to swamp people, you know. Um and I will not say names, but I can tell you A and E had nothing to do with the show in terms of the look, the feel, the tone, um none of that. None of that. None of it. I mean zero. And to add to add to that, um the network actually tried to take the talent deal from us in which never happened but my wife Deirdre, was the one who fought to keep the talent with us or the show probably never would have been our show i think they would have pulled the show from us the minute they saw something cool and they tried to get the talent deal you know away from us so that they could control the talent and take the show to someone who could produce the show the way they thought they wanted to produce it because there was a battle in the beginning between like oh what's the show going to look like what's it going to be like um, but at the end of the day, um, you know the team that made that show, and Mike O'Dare was the one who was primarily in charge of it. Um, is is the reason why that show is successful. Now, don't get me wrong; the talent's phenomenal. It takes awesome talent in order to to make a show like that. So, um,
0: well, I was gonna I was gonna say because we're talking about the Robertson family here, and they're not. They, they don't come from our business. They they weren't raised in a Hollywood backdrop. So when they are presented, when, you know, when it's time to go to series and you've kind of landed on what the tone of the show is, is it a, it, was it a hard conversation to get them to buy into the fact that they're just going to be doing this, like not slapstick, but comedy sitcom show rather than doing a, a real hunting factual type show, or did they buy in
1: instantly? Uh, I think it was a battle to be honest. Um, from what I recall, it was a battle on that. Well, of course, because, because
0: they're not, they're not natural performers. They're not actors. So probably early on, they're like, yeah. are we going to look stupid? Like it's, it's, a, it's a concern. Any talent I would think would have their first time around at this.
1: You know, it was tough because these guys, look, they weren't just guys that we, um, we had found in the middle of the swamp. These guys had been on TV. They, you know, they were smart. They had a multi-million-dollar business going. these guys were not stupid. Right. They may wore the you know they wore the camo and they had the the you know the shotguns and the you know the four by four trucks and all that to look through, look a certain role but trust me these guys could all went to Ivy League colleges. I mean, <laughs> and they they didn't forget it, and they were but, smart every single one of them.
0: But because they take themselves they take their business seriously, I should say, and they are businessmen. I could see them having concern early on when they're told, "Hey, we're just going to, you know, do this very cheeky comedic show." And then having some performance concerns or tonal concerns of how that will be reflected on their business. Like like you're saying, they kind of were resistant at first. And I imagine the difference between season 1 and season 2 it, it must have been night and day. Like do you remember the moment when you got the call on your ratings in season 1? Do you remember the moment you found out you were a hit?
1: I mean, I made a double pilot and I remember seeing the second episode and saying, wow, this is really, this is really funny. This is cool. This is different. This has never been done. And, um, and then, and then I remember the network initially not getting behind it, like not wanting to like do some crazy big launch. Um, but then the second it took off, you know, they put a ton of resources behind it, which I will say that was the thing with A&E. Like if they did buy into something, you know, they put, they put marketing money into it. Because with a show like that, you kind of had to have the marketing behind it; otherwise, it just kind of got lost. And oh, look, it's another small people show or whatever.
0: Well, it's so this is 2012 when you guys premiere. So this is 11 years ago. That's 11 years ago in terms of the landscape, but also the the business deals that were done. Now, Scott, look, I've I've been working on this side of the business for for a while as well. You know, we all make our deals with networks. I have to ask you, and I don't even think this is like a. I don't even think this is like an inside question to ask. I think this is just like an objective yeah. question because when we negotiate our deals, you know, you make your money, you know, making production fees and and whatever chargebacks you have being the infrastructure, you know, of the show, but we also negotiate back end. I have I have in my life my my career not seen a lot of back end checks come in on on reality shows. And yes, we spend a lot of time negotiating these deal points. Uh, and it's definitely less now because of you know networks owning the platforms and and not selling to as many third parties. But can I ask you, as a guy that created one of the most successful reality shows of all time, did you guys get back end checks on this show?
1: Uh, how do I say this? Um, we got big back end checks.
0: <laughs> you did get, okay. You did get back end checks. Okay.
1: Yeah, there was and it was a it was a negotiation that I think A and E may have may or may not have regretted doing initially because you know, no one thinks like you said, no one thinks it back end's gonna be big. So when you negotiate it, you know, up front, and you know, you're kinda and to win. Now I think we also renegotiated that, if I remember correctly. I could be wrong, but we renegotiated something with the merchandising because we just, no one could real you know, when it when it initially went down and they started doing like t-shirts it was, you know it was like whatever hit the shelf was gone
0: right and like <clears throat> halloween yeah. costumes and
1: and there things. was i, I want to say there was over a thousand licenses
0: a thousand licenses of just duck dynasty not duck commander but duck dynasty
1: no just Duck dynasty stuff. licenses for the, the the guys um look at the end of the day i i had never dreamed that you would see those kinds of merchandising checks and i think um You know, who knows whether, you know, we made what we should have made, but it was a lot of money. It was distributed around from between the family, the network, and the production company. Okay.
0: So they went on it too. Yeah. Well, well, well done, sir. So so a a year later from the show premiering, you guys sell to ITV. Now, was that something that really starts to kick off? in a serious way once you realize you've got this massive hit on top of the volume of all these other shows you have, or you guys already been in the market pre duck dynasty launch.
1: Um, I mean, we had no intention of selling our company to be honest. We had no intention. We were first approached by first corp. Um, and I don't know if they ended up buying companies or not, but who own a a piece of, don't they they
0: own a, I'm sorry to cut you off, but doesn't Hearst do they? Aren't they part uh, owner of A
1: I think they are. Uh, they might be. They might be right. Isn't it like Maybe a joint how, between like Disney that, Hearst? That, that could have actually been how that got stimulated. I, I honestly can't remember. It was so long ago. Okay. Um, but they were they were one of the first ones that reached out. And I want to say there was like a half a dozen more. And and the truth is, like we went with the person that we thought was going to be the best partner and offer us the biggest library because look we were already making a lot of money so it wasn't a money problem we we, we had enough money to live the rest of our life right it wasn't I mean, i'm not a fancy blancy guy i drive a pickup truck so it doesn't matter to me you know money's not that big of a concern me i i want to work with someone that, that was going to have something to offer not just write a check we could you know i knew we were going to make for the next five years whatever we wanted hand over fist right we had more networks wanted to make shows with us at that point, then, then we could handle. So the, the reason why we did go with with ITV was because they claimed they offered a, you know, a library and that we were going to be able to build upon our library, both domestically and internationally.
0: And just in, I mean, it's a big moment. You and your wife, you start this company living in the apartment, right? In 2005, here you are, you sell the company off. You are on top of the world. You've got like the number one hit show on cable that has completely taken over pop culture at that point. How did you guys celebrate? This is a big milestone. How did you guys celebrate the sale of the company or did you?
1: Man, I don't think we even did. You know, I think I had I had um, you know, a little I think one I think my, my little girl was born at that around that time, I was just preoccupied with my family. You know? Like I said, we already had money. It wasn't a money thing, you know? We've been making I know mean, I'm not bragging, but we had been making very good money for ten years. So it wasn't it wasn't a money thing for us. We all had everything we wanted in life. This was more about a, trying to form a partnership with someone that could help grow the company in places that we couldn't grow it, you know, organically. The two of us. Right. Um. So yeah, I think we celebrated. You know, we were like, wow, it's, it's pretty cool. You know, and and I think we had a company party and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, it didn't change our life, you know, you know, and, right. in any way.
0: So three, three years later, shit kind of goes down and it's, it's been publicized. I'm not saying anything that people don't already know that are already listening to this podcast. Cause everyone that listens to this podcast comes from the Rowdy TV community. Um, and this, and I know you probably can't talk much about it, but three years later, you know, you get suspended. They, they make accusations of you guys uh, to you guys, you guys counter Sue. This goes on for two and a half years, but something I did not know Scott until recently. And again, I don't, I know you you may not want to talk much about it, but something I just heard about the other day that I didn't know before was that there was like a full on raid at the offices and, and, and it's a simultaneous raid, both in LA at the office, but then also in Louisiana on the set of, of duck dynasty, that there was a private security company that came in seemingly hired by ITV when, when things started happening there. I mean, you get the phone call if there's a raid. I can't. I can't imagine the position you were in at that point.
1: Yeah, I mean, put yourself there. Is all you got to do, buddy. You know, look. I'm. I'm. I, I can say this. God. God bless me with you know everything I want in life. Um. What do I regret any of it? No, not really. You know. Do I? Do I? Uh, but I can't. I can't really talk about too much. Other than there's a reason why I didn't go to trial. And there's a reason why you know, a large check was written.
0: Right. Because they, they suspended you guys and eventually fire you from the company. And then that's when you countersue, essentially. And Correct. Yeah. for, for yeah. two, for you guys countersue for a hundred million dollars. And this goes on for two and a half years. And then eventually it doesn't go to trial. You're right. And it goes to an un- undisclosed yep. settlement essentially is how this all ends. Yep. And that was 2019. And I don't think I, from what I'd see, Scott, I, I hadn't seen you do an interview or anything other than that statement that came out from both ITV and you guys, when it went down, I hadn't seen you do an interview since, which was part of me being surprised that you even wanted to talk to me, which again, I really appreciate.
1: You know, I, I, I turned down a bunch of them initially. And, and then finally, you know, you know, um, Stuart was, was a guy that, you know, when the shit hit the fan, there was, you kind of, you kind of figure out real fast who your friends are. You know what I mean? Mm. So no, talk,
0: talk to me more about uh, that. Talk to me more about that. Cause again, you were on top of the world in, in 2013, when you sell the company and then three years later, things go sideways and this can be a very lonely business when things aren't going right. Like you're talking about, you, you learn who your friends are. Talk more about that, of what you saw the difference pre, pre ITV, post ITV.
1: Um, I mean, look, there's, there's, there's a, there's a couple ways to look at it. One, you know, people have to feed their families, right? So if people come in and say to you, hey, you take their side and you're not going to have a job, then what what are your options? You know what I mean? So I think some, some things went down and, and people just have to protect themselves to some degree, you know what I mean? And then there were some that, quote, unquote, whistle blew, which ended up, you know, I I, don't know. I can't, I, I don't know how much I can actually say, you know, that ended up just not being true to be honest. So, uh, you know, it, but it, but you know, when, when lawsuits happen, it takes years for all that stuff to come out cause nobody talks and then it takes a year to do a deposition. And then, you know, you dealing with these giant law firms that are just like, I mean, it, it's amazing to see it, you know, the amount of money burned, And, and the unwillingness to actually just sit down and discuss, um, what, what the, what the, you know, what the issues are, you know, and, and, and the, the thing is, you know, I I think I can say this, like there there was a deal duck dynasty was not supposed to end. There was a deal. I want to say to do 30 or 40 hours, Mm. it was literally on my desk or in Gary's desk, to sign like done deal done deal that went away and we told um you know told them hey you guys are short away if you do this this is what's going to happen like if, if we walk out that door they're not going to do this and you know they didn't believe us so cut yeah, to going away probably one of the largest reality cable deals to be made was never made and it's a shame because that show had such a good following. And, and, the, and the team that made it was so good. I mean, I'll be honest; I didn't make that show. You know, I would weigh in occasionally in the beginning, but the team that made that show is is the one that deserves credit. And you can look on the early seasons and see, you know, who were the who were the story producers and who were the co EPs, not the EPs that actually made that show. You know, you know the deal: who makes the shows? You know, right. So those are the guys that give credit, and those are the guys that I tried my best to help when, when I had to leave, and and you know those people didn't have jobs anymore. So <clears throat> I did what I could to help everybody out, but it's it was it was tough, man. Tough, it was tough.
0: Well, and and to clarify what you said, because I want to make sure people understand, there was a deal from A and E for thirty to forty more hours of Duck Dynasty, and you basically told ITV at that point. Hey, if you guys are gonna come at us like this, you're gonna blow up what is a very big deal for all of us because the second we start having infighting, so to speak, A and E is gonna pull this offer. Is that is that what you mean?
1: Yeah, that's what we told them. Yeah. That's what we told them. You know, we and were I- in a room with them and we told them, Hey, look, you know, you wanna fire us, that's fine. But, you know, this is what's gonna happen. Or this is potentially what's gonna happen.
0: And And I know you can't talk about, you know, much of that because there was a settlement, but I'm just talking about Scott Gurney, the the human being, you know, when this stuff goes on and it's highly publicized and your name is in the press and the community. And like you talk about, you learn who your friends are and, and, and you just might be like an extremely confident guy. So maybe you never did get scared about what was next or what this meant for your career, but in the, in the heat of that, were you, were you spinning out or were you just now in officially like attack mode?
1: Uh, you know, man, I, I don't take this the wrong way, but I don't get scared. Nothing scares me. Um, you know, I was raised, I was raised, you know, with hardly any money. I'd never had, you know, nice things in life, you know, I came out to LA with, with, with hardly anything, you know, so I didn't, you know, nothing. I was, I was pretty hard. Like I, it, I, I'm a nice guy and I'm a fair guy and, and I, and I love to do business, but. I was never scared. You know, I think I was more disappointed that I had let down my employees. Mm -hmm. That was my biggest disappointment was that I had a team that came to work every day for years. You know, we pride ourselves in like, man, you know what? I'm going to keep you on. If I can keep you on all year, I'll keep you on all year, you know, and roll everyone from show to show that because it's one of the things in the business that really bothered me is that there's no real um, security and, and, in that business at all. There's no healthcare. There's no 401ks. And I've had I had I used to have the conversations, you know, at some of these forums and stuff. Like, why? How come this exists? How come there's no 401ks? How come there's no um, benefits for any of these people that bust their asses, you know, 15 hours a day, day and day, weekend after weekend, you know?
0: Someone told me recently that when you guys were at your apex. You may have had like across all your shows. So people that were technically working for Gurney at the time, not, not the full timers, but you know, people on all your shows, it was something like around 700 people, maybe at one point were employed by Gurney across all the various shows. Does that number sound off to you or does that sound like it could be in the ballpark?
1: That's not right. I mean, I used to see all the, um, at the end of the year, you know, all the different people that, that came through the system you know, a lot of people are on location and we're shooting shows all around the world. So, um, but yeah, it was a ton, man. It was a ton. And I mean, we had a nursery in the, in the, in the building with moms in there and we had nannies and take care of the kids. And, you know, we had, it was a culture, you know, and people can say what they want, but if you work there for more than a couple of years, you, it was fun. It was, we were fair. We, we paid really well. And, and at the end of the day, man, we're, we're strapped by what the network really wants to pay. Like, it's nice to say, oh, so-and-so got the best deal ever. But at the end of the day, it's the network that pays us. And, you know, we do our best to allocate that money to pay the employees and still deliver a show.
0: So you said earlier you have no regrets. And I believe you were talking about making the ITV deal. But in general, in general, beyond just that, no, no regrets from your reality TV life?
1: Well, I mean, I, I feel like you can't live your life with, with regrets, right? You make decisions in your life. They are what they are. You take them like a man or a woman, whatever you would say, and you move on, you know, you got to move on in life. You can't look back. So did I, did we do it? Yes. Did we think it was going to turn out differently? Yes. You know, am I upset? Not really. You know, like I said before, the people that whose lives were really affected, the ones who, you know, really rely on those decent paychecks all year round. um, Those are the ones that mattered, you know? And then, and then, you know, I left this out, but we did, we did, we were, we had just started probably in the last couple of years offering healthcare to employees, which was, I thought, a, you know, one of the only companies that was doing it. Um, so that, like I said, there were moms there, you know, moms or dads would bring their kids in. It was a culture that, that just literally got dismantled in, in 40 hours. Um, so that's, that's my only thing that, that really left a, a mark on me was, you know what? I really hope that these guys don't suffer, you know, and they get, they all were able to move on.
0: Well, 2019, from when this uh, undisclosed settlement you know was finalized, it it seems like an eternity ago, and it seems like you know a whole pandemic has transpired. There's been contraction in our end of the business on the unscripted side. It feels like an entirely different landscape, but here we are, and it's only four years later. But it does feel like this is already, you know, in terms of our business, ancient history. But does, does it feel like it's been four years for you?
1: Uh, you know, when you said, when you said, oh, it's been 10 years of this and that, it doesn't seem like, it. you know, I guess I get the part of getting old, years seem like days <laughs> or the other way around, whatever. it just, it just all becomes a blur. You know, um, I mean, the landscape has, de- like we were talking about earlier, the landscape has definitely changed. The people that I know that were, you know, at my level even are, are, you know, it's hard. It's a lot harder now. Um, and it would be interesting. I, you know, I do think about if I would have stayed in it, you know, what would I have done to adapt to this well, new environment and the new way to make TV that's or not funny. even TV anymore and do different kind of outlets of, of media?
0: Well, Scott, I mean, I, that's the question I think everyone's asking. I had, um, I recently talked to Sally Ann Salsano, you know, who's like, you know, uh, yep. the, the queen of, of our business. Yeah. And we, I went through like old shows of hers And when you look, when you look back, you know, even seven years ago, you know, eight years ago, shows you were making, you know, I listed earlier in in our conversation, I'm alive, auction hunters, monster man, haunted collector, American guns, Hollywood treasures. These are, I don't, maybe one of those shows might get made today, but the others would not get made today. Not because they're bad shows, but because the networks are different. There's less networks making those kinds of shows. And it's a different landscape. And right? I mean, am I wrong in saying that? Like, it is crazy to think, like you look back at some great shows that were successful shows from just seven, eight years ago. And if those shows were pitched today, there's no home for them.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, there's a saying, you know, out with the old and with the new. (laughs) I hate to say it, but I feel like I'm the old. So these, these kids nowadays, the new that are coming up, you know, they are smart. These kids that are graduating from these film schools that are young, You know, they are, they are completely, they can, they can live in a, you know, I mean, they're selling these, these, they're living in 150 square foot places, producing shows out of there on their computer that, that they, that they shoot on the, you know, on the beach like, God, no, they're just so smart and so savvy and they just, and, and so crafty when it comes to making things for pennies. Um, and like we talked about, you know, the outlet is the, is the phone is the new TV and you know, it's like a, it's not a phone. I got you know, I laugh. I'm like, that's personal TV, not a personal phone. So you have to look at it like that. And I think if you're going to make it, you know, you better, you better, you better try to reinvent the wheel like we did 15 years ago or you're going to fail.
0: Well, yeah. So last thing, um, for those people that listen to this podcast that are early on in their careers that are trying to make it, trying to, you know, go about rising in the industry. What is the one piece of advice from, from Uncle Scott Gurney that you can uh, pass on to them?
1: Gosh, you know, I think you just have to, you, you, you can't take no for an answer. I think that's the most important thing because when you're starting out in any business, the word no is going to be the one word you hear in your sleep thousands and thousands of times. You have to just stick it out. You have and you and you have to really want it. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, I want to be a producer. No, you don't. You don't want to be producer. You have no idea what T V producer does. And so the second thing I would tell you is based on that, you need to actually go work for someone and do what you want to do to figure out how it's done or at least how they do it. So you cannot make the same same mistakes that they made when you do it and spend your own money.
0: Scott, thanks for doing this, man. I really appreciate you giving me the time.
1: Yeah, you're welcome, man. I'm, 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 I'm looking forward to listening to some of the other other uh, podcasts you have on there now that I, I, I hear the list is, is, is deep. Oh, Scott
0: Gurney. Scott Gurney, a new subscriber. Look at that. Look at that.
1: I will, I will. Check it out.
0: <laughs> uh, thanks for the time, man. I really appreciate it. I know we had to like cut this up into multiple conversations to get it in, but you're, you're a good man for making it happen. I really appreciate it.
1: Okay, buddy. Well, you guys be good. I'll talk to you soon. Have a great day. All right, you too. All right, bye-bye.